how long does it take to keep a promise? How long does it take to keep a promise? I suppose uh, that depends on quite a lot of things. It depends on the size and uh, scope of the promise, among other things. Some promises are tiny and, and quick to fulfill. I promise to make you a cup of tea. Some are bigger. I guess the, the promises made in a wedding ceremony are huge promises uh, that actually take a lifetime to fulfill. But as big as those promises are, there are promises that dwarf even those promises. Promises as big as the world, as big as history, if that's, if that's conceptually possible. It was almost 4,000 years ago that God said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This wasn't just a promise for Abraham or for his lifetime. Uh, it wasn't a promise just for his biological descendants. It wasn't just a promise for God's Old Testament people, Israel, but a promise for all peoples on earth. All peoples would be blessed through Abraham and his descendants. And of course, Abraham's ultimate descendant is Jesus Christ himself, through whom all peoples on earth have access to God's blessing. We uh, do begin to see that promise being fulfilled in the Old Testament. Uh, there, are, there are people who aren't Israelites, uh, like, like Rahab and Ruth, who come to faith in God and are included amongst God's people. Uh, God's message does go out. Uh, for example, Jonah takes God's message to Nineveh. But it's really only, only a trickle. We reach the end of the Old Testament without seeing God's promise of blessing coming to all peoples having been ultimately fulfilled. But that certainly doesn't mean that it wouldn't be. The trickle uh, begins to pick up a bit as we get into the New Testament, as we get into the Gospels. Jesus arrives, and while he does mostly spend time with his own people, we continue to see glimpses of this promise of God being fulfilled. For example, Jesus speaks to Samaritan women and is acknowledged as the Son of God by a Roman centurion. As we get into Acts then, uh, it picks up even more. Jesus' followers are continuing his work in the world. Uh, we see one-to-one -one Bible study between Philip and an Ethiopian eunuch, and Gentiles like Cornelius, who'd already come in contact with Jewish people and, and was already a worshipper of God, hearing about Jesus and putting his faith in him along with his whole family. And we were hearing just two weeks ago about other Gentiles hearing about Jesus and coming to trust him in chapter 11. But if we've seen a ramp up in the rate of this promise being fulfilled so far in Acts, uh, chapter 13 is a real gear change. Not only does the focus of Acts shift from Jesus' work through Peter being the main focus to Jesus' work through Paul being the main focus, uh, which is important because Jesus was designated as the apostle to the Gentiles, to those who weren't Jews. But it's not just that. This is the first time that we really see the gospel going international. So far, all of Acts has happened on the Palestinian and Syrian mainland, but now at last, the message of the gospel is going abroad. We're beginning to see how all peoples on earth are going to be blessed through Abraham's descendants, and ultimately through his perfect descendant, Jesus. This is the beginning of the gospel going global. 
Way back in chapter 1, Jesus said this to his apostles, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So far in Acts, we've had Jerusalem, we've had Judea, we've had Samaria, and chapter 13 is where the ends of the earth bit begins. Our having heard the gospel, uh, our our personally having heard the gospel, may well be a result of Barnabas and Paul uh, making the gospel international in Acts. It was God's work, but he achieved it by human means. Paul and Barnabas went out from Israel to share the gospel, uh, to share the good news further afield, and the message was passed on from person to person and country to country and generation to generation until it reached us. 2,000 years after Acts 13... 4,000 years after the original promise, the promise still stands, and it's still in the process of being fulfilled. The mission hasn't changed. We're to be about the same thing that Paul and Barnabas were about. God's promise of the blessing of all peoples is still being kept, and we're part of it here at St. Mark's. As people uh, from other countries come here and hear the gospel, as people from here go out to other countries and tell them the gospel, as people from St. Mark's are involved in translating the Bible into languages that that haven't previously had it. But also, as people here from St. Mark's go about their day-to-day lives, go, go to their jobs in London and share their faith with those that they meet. The promise hasn't changed. It's still in the process of being kept 4,000 years on. The mission hasn't changed. Their mission is our mission. And that's why it's really comforting that Paul and Barnabas weren't doing it alone. God equipped them really well for the mission that he sent them out uh, to carry out. And he did that with at least three things. And we're going to have a look at those three things. Uh, They're the church, the spirit, and his word. The church, the spirit, and his word. Firstly, uh, the church. The last thing we heard at the very end of chapter 11 of Acts was that Barnabas and Paul, or Saul as he's still called until halfway through chapter 13, had been sent from Antioch to Judea uh, to provide the the people there uh, because there was a famine going on. And then we hear nothing of them for for a whole chapter until the very end of chapter 12 where we're told that having finished their mission, they return uh, from Jerusalem to Antioch. And we know from those uh, opening verses of chapter 13 um, that they weren't just uh, returning to a city, they were returning uh, to to a people, Uh, they were returning to the church there. And the church there, we see, had had pastors, uh, it had teachers and prophets, we're given a list of them, and they were a people who worshipped and prayed and fasted. And they were doing those things together as a group, they weren't all off doing it individually, they were all together. It's good for God's people to be united. It's uh, pretty much what the entire book of Ephesians is about. And the writer to the letter of the letter to the the Hebrews uh, also agrees. He says this, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And it's from uh, this unity, uh, this habit of worshipping God and depending on Him in prayer together, that the church sends people out. It's, it's from there that they send out Paul and Barnabas. At the very end of chapter 12, having previously been sent out, Paul and Barnabas return to Antioch, to the fellowship, before being sent out again. They aren't rogue agents 
uh, going wherever they please, just, just sharing the gospel wherever they happen to show up. Uh, they're not like a, like a ship drifting about at sea, just sharing the gospel of whatever, whatever land mass they happen to bump into. No, they have this kind of anchor, uh, the church. The chain connecting them to the church is, is quite long. It allows them to go out internationally, but they're connected. They keep coming back to it. They're not unsupported. The church is kind of uh, like their Kickstarter, if you like. Uh, I'm not a Kickstarter expert, but in case you're, you're unfamiliar, we'll have a little bit of the blind leading the blind for a moment. Uh, Kickstarter is a, is a fundraising platform online. People propose uh, kind of creative projects that they're, that they're planning, uh, things from films to card games, and then other people pledge money uh, to support them to get their project up off the ground. And if they don't get the support, then their project doesn't happen. And it's a bit like that here. Paul and Barnabas's, uh, with Paul and Barnabas's mission. Notice what it doesn't say in verses 2 and 3. It doesn't say this. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them, so they went off. No, uh, they don't just go off. The church sent them off. And they were sent off after the church had fasted and prayed we're not told exactly how it was that the Spirit said what He said. Uh, maybe it was through one of the prophets. But the people, having received the message, first test the message. They bring it to God in prayer, and then they act on it by sending Paul and Barnabas off on their mission. Our mission today is the same as Paul and Barnabas's was. It might not look exactly the same, though perhaps it does. Uh, some of us will go out uh, to other countries to share the good news there, uh, like the Delports went out a year ago from here to Ibiza. But for most of us, it's about going in, out into the world in London, about telling the good news to people uh, at, our, at our jobs, about telling it to our friends. But however it looks, uh, it's to be taken out uh, to people from uh, the base of the church, Holding out that blessing, that, that blessing that God promised to people is to happen from the church. God has graciously given us the church as a way of equipping us for that work. The church is the kickstarter for our mission, and we should be depending on it for support. We should be praying for one another as we go out in, into different contexts, whether that be on, on Sundays or in our home groups or in prayer triplets. We should be eager to, to look for ways to encourage each other in the mission that God calls us to. Uh, whether that be encouraging people to listen to our, our Speak Hope podcast, which equips people for evangelism, or asking one another how it's going, or being excited when it's going well for us, or being honest uh, when it's difficult. None of this is to say that there aren't Christians who found themselves going it alone, uh, unsupported and unconnected. There have been uh, those, but that's not the norm. And none of us needs to be like that, because we all have our church family here at St. Mark's. God has graciously given it to us, in part, to equip us for the mission that He calls us to carry out. And it would be weird for us not to use the church, not to make the most of it, like being given a great gift and then leaving it up on the shelf even though we need it. Our mission today is the same as Barnabas and Paul's was then. And like with them then, God has given us the church to equip us for it. You'll have noticed, though, that while the church does send Barnabas and Paul out, they aren't the initial senders. It's the Spirit who prompts this mission. They are equipped um, with the church, but they're also equipped with the Spirit. If you're anything like me, you're at risk of sometimes beginning to think of the Spirit in a rather kind of abstract way, uh, kind of like the Force in Star Wars, just a kind of power that's out there. 
But as I need to keep reminding myself, that's a mistake. He's a person. Not, not a physical being, it's true, but a person nonetheless. And that becomes really clear in our passage. Have a look down at verse 2. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work uh, to which I have called them. Or verse 4. The two of them sent, out, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is vital for Barnabas and Paul's mission. He calls, he sends, he equips, and he sustains. We just saw that he called them for mission and that he sends them out on it. Uh, I've been calling it Barnabas and Paul's mission, but really it's ultimately Jesus' mission. The book of Acts is a continuation of Jesus' mission through his disciples, and it's his spirit that is the driving force. It is him that calls Paul and Barnabas to this mission and sends them out on it. And he doesn't, he doesn't call them and then send them out only to wave goodbye at the door and wish them well on their way. He goes with them, and he equips them as they go about their mission. The first stop on Barnabas and Paul's journey is Cyprus, and it's there in Paphos that they meet the proconsul, uh, Sergius Paulus, who was interested in the gospel, but they also meet a sorcerer called Elemis, who opposed the gospel and tried to turn the proconsul from his faith. Have a look at what happened after that uh, from verse 9. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Really important words in that passage, I think, from verse 9, filled with the Holy Spirit. I guess Paul knew opposition. Uh, he knew what that was like. He was going to become more and more aware of what that was like as the years went by. And he knew from his own personal experience on the road to Damascus that opposition to the gospel, spiritual blindness, was sometimes judged with physical blindness. It had happened to him. But he, but he didn't accuse Elemis uh, on his own authority or bring about Elemis's blindness through his own power. No, he was filled with the Spirit. The Spirit equipped him for the work of his mission. The Spirit equipped him for the work that the Spirit sent him out to do. He also sustained them in the mission. At the very end of chapter 13, uh, having faced persecution in Pisidian Antioch, a little bit confusingly a different Antioch than the one they were sent out from, they leave the city and look down at verse 51 to see what happens. So they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with joy and being filled with the Holy Spirit are not unrelated things. Uh, how could they have been joyful having left a city because of persecution other than because they were filled with the Holy Spirit? Paul would later write to the Galatians that one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy and to the Philippians, to rejoice in the Lord always. I think he knew from experience that it wasn't possible without the Spirit. It was him who sustained them on their mission. The Spirit calls, he sends, equips, and sustains. He did it for Barnabas and for Paul, and he does it for us also. 
It's like uh, if a world-famous explorer called you up and said that she wanted you to go out on a mission of discovery. You're understandably a little bit nervous uh, because you've never done anything like this before, but it turns out that she is coming with you. And not only that, she teaches you along the way the things that you need to know for the journey. And even beyond that, she keeps disappearing off into the undergrowth and bringing back all kinds of food for you uh, to sustain you along the way. As he did with Barnabas and Saul, the Spirit calls, sends, equips, and sustains us. If we're Christians, he's already called us. He's already called us to God. And if he's done that, then he will be in the process of sending us out as Jesus' witnesses to the world. And if that's the case, we can trust that he'll equip us and sustain us as we do that. And we should be expecting him to, depending on him, praying that God's Spirit would be at work in us and expecting him to do so, expecting him to, to equip us for the mission that he's sending us out to do. It's not an easy mission, but we're not doing it alone. God has equipped us with the church and with the Spirit, so we should make use of them both. If someone sends you off uh, fishing and gives you a fishing rod, you don't uh, leave the rod on the grass and go around trying to catch uh, fish with your bare hands. Likewise, you can't carry out Jesus' mission, the, the continuation of this promise of God's uh, that the blessing would come to all peoples without depending on what it is that he's equipped us with to do it, the church and his spirit. But wonderfully, it doesn't end there. In his great generosity, God does not only give the church and the spirit, he also gives his word. And this is perhaps the most central of the three in Acts 13. I don't know if you've noticed this, but God is kind of big on words. In the beginning, when he created everything, he spoke it into existence. God said, let there be light. He's forever speaking to his people in the Old Testament. Jesus himself is described as the word of God. And Barnabas and Paul's mission, uh, in their mission, the word of God is central. It's mentioned time and time and time again, uh, sometimes by slightly different names. Have a look down with me. Verse 5, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogue. Verse 7, he wanted to hear the word of God. Verse 26, it was to us that this message of salvation has been brought. Verse 32, we tell, we tell you the good news. Verse 44, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Verse 46, we had to speak the word of God to you first. Verse 48, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And finally, verse 49, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. Do you get the impression that the word of God is quite important on this mission? It's the word that does the work. It's the word that does the work. Have a look back at verse 12. This is just after Elymas has been made blind. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed because he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Why did he believe? Uh, because a miraculous sign had just occurred? No, because he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord, at the Word of God. No doubt the sign that accompanied, accompanied it helped, uh, but it wasn't, that wasn't the thing. That wasn't what made him believe. It was the Word of God. Paul and Barnabas go on from uh, Cyprus to Pisidian Antioch, and it's there in the synagogue that Paul preaches this amazing sermon, uh, which we don't have time to look at uh, in detail, 
uh, today, but I would encourage you to go away and read it. Go home and read the whole of chapter 13 because it's amazing and we don't have time to deal with it all this morning. But Paul preaches this amazing uh, sermon, this kind of potted history of, Isma- of Israel. And he's able to do that because he knows the Old Testament like the back of his hand. He also warns the Jewish people from God's word that they would reject the word of God and then it would then go out to the Gentiles, God's blessing of all peoples, and that's just what happens. Look at verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed to eternal life believed. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews describes God's word as living and active. And we can certainly see that that is the case here in Acts 13. It's powerful. It elicits a response. The response is sometimes faith, like with Sergius Paulus and the Galatians, and sometimes it's opposition, like with the Jewish leaders in Pisidian Antioch. But there's definitely a response in either case. It's one of the things we're equipped with today as well, the Word of God. And as we go out to share the good news with people, we don't need to be worried about being clever. We don't need to be worried about being eloquent. We don't need to be super creative because we don't need to make anything up. We don't have to because it's been given to us already. God has equipped us with his word. And we have really easy access to it today. The primary place we find God's word for us today is is right here in the Bible, which is his word for us. So how well do we know it? He's equipped us with it. Are we equipping ourselves with it? Is it ready on the tip of our tongues? Uh, Out in children's church uh, right now, the the primary school age children are going through a a great uh, series on the armor of God. I think today they're looking at the the shield of faith, which is fantastic. But two of the other pieces of armor, um, one they've looked at and one they will look at, are gospel shoes and the belt of truth. We have the good news of the gospel, and we have the truth of God's word, and we're to arm ourselves with them, to equip ourselves with them, to be ready for the mission uh, that God sends us out on. Not to go uh, groping around in a stream with our bare hands, with the fishing rods lying on the bank, and we can expect results as we, as we do this. They won't always be the result that we want, uh, but the word of God will bring about a result, sometimes belief and sometimes opposition. That's out of our hands. All we're to do is to share it. 4,000 years ago, God promised uh, through Abraham that all people would be blessed. The passage of 2,000 years found him in the process of keeping that promise through Paul and Barnabas, uh, amongst others. And another 2,000 years finds him in the process of still keeping that same promise through us, as he uses us to bring the good news uh, to the world in all sorts of ways. But thankfully, we're not left to our own devices as we do that. He's equipped us with the church. He's equipped us with the spirit. He's equipped us with his word. Let's be remembering those things and making the most of them.